we may never work in the same way again. So reimagine the office with scalable workspaces that flex to your needs. Design-led interiors and world-class IT. Iconic offices have reinvented the future of working, so you don't have to. Hybrid offices, co-working, or custom floors for a global HQ. 16 prime Dublin locations, infinite possibilities. Experience it for yourself. Visit iconicoffices.ie to reimagine how working can work for your business. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. You're very welcome back listening to the Moncrief Show here on News Talk. And Tom Dunn standing in for Sean today. You can send a text to 53106. That'll cost you 30 cents. You can email me at afternoonnewstalk.com or tweet at Tom Happens. Uh, we had Henry out on the streets asking people about a reaction to the European Commissioner's uh, President Ursula van der Leyen and what happened. In, in, I don't know if you've seen it um, because you might get the idea that there were lots of seats at a table and it shouldn't get one. There were two seats. There were two seats and two men took them and she was left standing. Um, it was quite remarkable. So a bit of reaction to that. I just wish she hadn't used the phrase hurt and alone, says one of her texters. Why didn't she just speak up at the time? I can't understand that. Moaning about it now is pointless, really, says DJ Andrata. This is the type of microaggression that happens all the time, but I actually don't think it's a case of actively snubbing her. They probably just didn't even occur to them to give her a chair. And that's probably even worse when you think about it, says Sinead. Um, all this misogyny, I believe, comes down to one simple thing, respect. No person should be treated like that woman or man. Dr. Bull in Blanchetown saying that. As a member of an older generation, I can definitely say that we've made progress. We've progressed from conscious sexism to unconscious sexism. But of course, that means we're still a long way to go. It's from Mary. Um, public transport shows how men don't care about women's needs. I'm heavily pregnant and I was on the Lewis. The men actively avoided eye contact while a woman eventually offered me Seat. It was shocking, really. And uh, that suggestion of reducing men's testosterone, a bit extreme, perhaps. Sure, you might as well give women more testosterone and make it a level playing field. Do you know what? I think staying away from the whole testosterone thing, you know, either reducing it or increasing it on either side is probably your best bet on that. And uh, just a little bit of reaction on Michael Sheen. He could read the back of a cereal box and make it sound Shakespearean. He really is. He has incredible drama about him, doesn't he? And speaking of a man who also has incredible drama about him, it is time once again to get our goings on around the world that haven't reached the front pages. And a guy as ever is Jonathan DeBurka Butler joining us now on Newstalk. Jonathan, how are you today? Tom, are you getting on? I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or not. (laughs) If you're being compared to Michael Sheen... There's only one way to take that. Well, I, then I take it as a compliment. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you for that introduction. You're more than welcome. You're starting us off in Chad today, um, which has got incredibly dramatic uh, events there, aren't they? They, they really are. Um, and it, it, I actually came to this story quite late uh, when I was doing the research uh, at the, when I started doing the research last week, but this story went right to the top of the pile um, because the army last week announced that the president, uh, Idris Deby, who's been around or had been around for 30 years, he came to power in 1990 after a, a, a couple of military coups, um, was actually shot dead. He died of his injuries sustained while visiting troops on the front line. Now, there's um, a rebel force in Chad. There's quite a few, actually, but one of the main rebel forces in Chad called the Front for Change and Concord in Chad. And it 
uh, had been advancing towards the capital uh, in Jemina. Okay, um, it, it had actually started to move on the day that elections uh, took took place. Right, so there was an election um, on the 11th of April. Uh, President Debbie had won that election. Um, they were advancing towards the capital. President Debbie went out having, you know, accepted his 79% victory and went out to visit the troops on the front line. There was some sort of, of an ambush and, and he was shot. Um, so quite incredible. And uh, straight away, the army basically declared martial law. Uh, the military council or a, mili a military council was put together and they're apparently, or at least for now, they're going to be looking after the country for the next 18 months. And Debbie's 37-year-old son um, has been put at the head of, head of that military council. Now, it's hard to know how much power he will actually have uh, and how much influence he will actually have. Often it's the case where, you know, the son comes in and he's not quite as effective as the, the the man who's been at the top for 30 years, but he would have good relations with France, who of course was was the you know the country that used to rule in the area up until the 1960s, and uh, they also had the support of the United States. Um, but it is uh, a situation in a region that really is going through tremendous upheaval at the moment, and they could really do without this type of thing. Well, when I saw the report first, I was very taken that he was at the front line at all, that a president would go to the yeah. front line. But it was, it was kind of a case that the front line was coming towards him, wasn't it? It was, and I, and I think he was, he was going out there just to, you know, I, 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 assume, I assume he thought his, his safety was guaranteed. I mean, guaranteed. I mean, he's an old soldier himself. Now, the, the military have tried to make it look, of course, as if he was out there leading the front lines in many respects. But I okay. at 68 years of age, I don't think he was. He was just there to meet the troops. Whether, you know, he was given up or whether the information or whether there's more to it than, it, you know, the, the, the front for change in Concord and Chad uh, being responsible for it uh, is hard to know um, at this point. But there is consternation in Chad um, and, and already opposition Politicians have got their supporters out onto the street. They're looking for the military council to be disbanded uh, and they want, you know, democratic elections straight away. But the military, and I'll finish with this, Tom, sorry, but the military have, have basically said, look, the situation is far too dangerous. This particular rebel group uh, are bringing in other rebel groups from the region and, and are planning to launch an assault. Uh, so uh, it's a precarious situation uh, all around, really. Okay, the, the 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 election that he won was disputed, um, and it's I suppose the end of the dispute came with his death, really. But I suppose well, if you'd say one thing is that it it had been a stable country up to this. Relatively, I suppose. I mean, you you you've got to look at the 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 whole region, I suppose, including um, Niger, northern Nigeria, and there's a lot of stuff going on there, really. As Sudan as well, over to the over to the east. So, you know, it's a big country with only 11 million people in it um, and uh, issues are, are, are complicated and always have been. But the, the states and France, France has a military base there um, and the states and France were accommodating, shall we say, 
in 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 during his presidency then they they, okay. they, they seem to like him if you know what i mean <laughs> even though they were aware right. he wasn't they liked necessarily the nicest fella in the in the neighborhood if you get okay me. yeah i get you um they liked it the way it was so this um your next story looks like well what can i say a very good news story it is um it's 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 again been a lot of talk obviously about vaccines and that kind of thing um, but this is about a malaria vaccine, uh, which is a trial that was actually run by everybody's favourite uh, vaccine provider. Uh, uh, well, in this case, it's the Jenner Institute of Oxford University. Um, and they ran a small trial in Burkina Faso over 12 months where they were vaccinating um, children, I think, between the ages of five months and 17 months. OK, and they've come back with a, a, an efficacy rate of 77%, right? So the WHO has decided basically that this is very good news and uh, that this particular vaccine has reached the 75% threshold that they have, right? So there, there is other vaccines there. There's one called apparently Mosquirix, okay? But its efficacy is, is, is quite low. It's below 50%, well below 50%. Um, this one could be a game changer. Um, they're very excited about it. Um, Malaria kills about 400,000 small children every year, mainly in Africa. Small and children? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're all, you know, babies. And um, uh, they're the ones who, who, who are affected by it uh, in the main. So if you got something like this um, with, a, you know, a huge efficacy or a really good efficacy, uh, it, it could be very exciting indeed. So they're, they're looking to get it produced, produced cheaply and produced quickly. Uh, and they're hoping that they can, you know, in a best case scenario, could be approved for use by by the end of 2022, and um, and 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 they'd be able to really tackle the disease. And it's a disease that they've been looking to to, you know, create a vaccine against for the best part of what I don't know a century maybe. Um, so this would be yeah, really great easy. news. Right. Um, you better say that the Oxford University people are also the people behind the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. Um, they are, yes. Yeah, so yeah. you know that name is that name is out there as well. Um, so onwards to uh, Germany and a story from the world of ballet that people wouldn't really be expecting. I don't imagine. Yeah, it's an interesting story uh, about a French uh, ballet dancer by the name of Chloe Lopez Gomez, and uh, she was the first black ballerina to be hired by the Berlin Staatsballet, okay? Um, she was hired in 2018, but she's won a case against them. Now, they, I think that it was settled out of court, right? But she's won 16,000 euro in compensation, and she's also had her contract renewed uh, until the end of 2021-2022 uh, season. Which, she's 29 herself, so I suppose in, in many respects, retirement age for ballet dancers can be anything between sort of 30, 35, that kind of thing. So she'd be getting on a little bit in her, in her career as well. Um, so it's good for her that she's um, got the contract renewed. But more than anything, I think she's happy that she brought uh, the case of racism um, to light. And, and that's why the, the, the company has decided to settle out of court. They've been very apologetic um, and she herself is, is delighted. She, she, she talks about a few cases um, against one particular ballet mistress, as they're called, who was rather insensitive, to say the least, 
in terms of, of how she treated her. She said that she forced her to wear white makeup so that she could blend in with other, other dancers in a production of Swan Lake. Um, and there was other instances as well that she was able to, to point to. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, a small, as she said for herself, it's a small victory, but a huge step for the ballet world. And uh, uh, and hopefully it will help that uh, particular um, scene to um, you know deal with situations like this in the future. Very good. Not not uh, not something you would have expected in that world. There you go. Um, meanwhile, in Quebec, what's going on? Yeah, so Quebec, there's been a controversial law there. I think we might have covered it actually when it first came in back in 2019, um, which tries to preserve their um, uh, secularism, really. Uh, to, to, yeah, it's a French-speaking pro province, as you know, very independent-minded and, and likes its, its secularism in the same way that France does, right? And a couple of years ago, they brought in a law which basically prohibits civil servants uh, from wearing religious symbols, right? So it could be a crucifix, it could be a hijab, it could be a turban, whatever you're having yourself, okay? And um, obviously, there were people that were a bit upset about this, and so there was a couple of cases that were brought to the uh, Quebec Superior Court, all right? Um, and they have come back with a, a, a decision basically saying that they're going to strike down part of the disputed law against public uh, employees wearing religious symbols, right? So it's going to, they're going to remove limits from some teachers and provincial politicians, but they're going to maintain the ban for police officers, judges, and other civil servants. Now, it's extremely complicated as to why they're able to do it for some. God, it sounds it. Yeah, they're, they're able to do it for some and not for others because of, of how, how the, the Charter of Civil Rights and uh, Freedoms and, and the protections that minorities are given uh, by that, all right? But there's other ways that the Quebec Provincial Parliament can bypass those laws. And so they're able to, the, the, the judge when he was giving his decision, and it's a 260-page document, apparently, which you can imagine I didn't read, but when he was, he, when, when giving <laughs> the decision, the judge basically said that um, he, he didn't like the law, right, itself, and he didn't like the sentiment of it, and he agreed with the people who brought the case that it, it led to, you know, discrimination in some cases and stopped people from going for jobs and that kind of thing, but that there was nothing illegal about it as such, um, right. But he was able. To, he was able to remove some parts of it because of uh, certain aspects of the law in Quebec that that helped him to do that. So very complex, and it will go on yeah. uh, probably to the next level. Right, uh, complex is the word for that. Um, meanwhile, in Afghanistan, um, Afghanistani interpreters. I, I, I never realised there were Australian uh, troops in Afghanistan as well, and they've been employing um, interpreters and. If this scheduled withdrawal goes ahead, these guys are going to be in trouble, basically. They are, and um, they're obviously extremely worried about it. And and it's in some cases, it's been going on for a very long time, right? So the the, the issue in question comes from an article in the Guardian, actually quite a quite a lar large article in the Guardian. But forty one interpreters that were working for the Australian Army. Um, basically, wrote to the embassy in January of this year, and then again earlier this month and they basically said that they were under dire threat basically and that the rate of targeted killings against interpreters um, and their families has increased 
um, quite a bit over the last number of years. They say that 300 interpreters and their family members have been killed since 2016. And obviously, with the imminent withdrawal of US and Australian troops from um, Afghanistan, you know, the Taliban are, are the Taliban are going to be back in the mix, right? No matter what happens, really, right? Yeah. It's already the, the situation they are. where contro- they are back in the mix and they're already controlling roads and various different things like that. So when the Australians pull out, these guys are going to be left here, having done that work with the Australian army for years, and they're going to be killed, right? Simple as that. And uh, they want protection. Um, there was a humanitarian visas program which was introduced in 2012. But in the case of one guy, he submitted an application in 2014, but there wasn't any assessment done until May of 2020. Imagine six years you've you've dedicated like a lot of your adult life to helping these guys sort out the situation in Afghanistan. And they take six years to process your application and it still may not go through. And so it's an incredible situation and and it's caused a bit of a stir in in, uh, parts of Australia. And they, there, there are people in the army who just can't understand why it's taking so long. Um, uh, and as I said, if these guys can't be, and their families can't be brought back with the Australian army, they will be left there uh, to hang, quite literally. God, how grim. Um, and it's funny, when you talk of those stories, it kind of reminds you in times of Vietnam. And Vietnam is your next story where uh, journalists still aren't getting an easy ride. They sure aren't. And, uh, you know, this is a theme that we touch on quite a bit uh, when when we come to this particular part of the world. Um, In this case, it's a woman by the name of Tran Thi Tuyet Diu, who has been sentenced to eight years in prison for violating Article 117 of the Vietnamese Penal Code. Right. And basically that says that she's going to prison for creating, storing and disseminating information against the Socialist Republic of Vietnam. Tom, she basically wrote a couple of news stories or a couple of posts on Facebook that they didn't like, and they've sent her to jail for eight years. So in a nutshell, she's really done nothing wrong other than argue for press freedom and democracy, but she's going to spend the next eight years in prison. God, that's grim. Um, we're beaten by the clock, Jonathan. Thank you very much as ever. You can listen back to the podcast around the world on Newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. If you're thinking of buying a residential rental property, ICS Mortgages can provide an excellent range of flexible buy to let mortgages, including interest only terms of up to 15 years. We'll also help you to refinance your existing portfolio and grow your property investments. Call 0818 427 427 visit icsmortgages.ie or contact your local mortgage broker. ICS Mortgages, the mortgage experts. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply and are subject to change. The entire amount that you've borrowed will still be outstanding at the end of the interest-only period. Dilos Trading as Dilos and ICS Mortgages is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.